Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 105, Writing Christmas in July, an interview with Melody Carlson, coming to you on Thursday, October 25th, 2018. If you think that you just might be ready to start reading some Christmas books, or talking about them, or talking about the fact that you might have to write your Christmas books in July, this is the right interview for you. Melody talks to us about how she has to write her Christmas books in July, and that it's very funny when the air conditioning is running, (laughs) and then she goes outside and it's 100 degrees. She also talks to us about some great fun tips that you might want to use if you're thinking about starting NaNoWriMo next week. Yes, it's only a week from today if you're listening on the day the interview comes out. So National Novel Writing Month, If you're not familiar with it, go to (laughs) nanowrimo.org or check out the link in the show notes. It's a great time for you to get a jump start on a new story. So if you've got something that you're thinking about writing or you're sort of still near the beginning part or you just need some energy, this is a great time when you can work with people all over the world who are all trying to write their 50,000 words and um, get it done in 30 days, which is crazy. But That's what I'm going to be working on too. So we'll talk about that more as the month of November continues. But Melody does have a couple of great tips about getting started and keeping going. So check out the interview and I hope you enjoy it. Today's guest is Melody Carlson. Melody is the award-winning author of over 200 books with combined sales of more than 6 million. She is the author of many Christmas stories, including the best-selling The Christmas Busts, The Christmas Dog, Christmas at Harrington's, The Christmas Cat, The Christmas Joyride, The Christmas Angel Project, and The Christmas Blessing. She received a Romantic Times Career Achievement Award in the inspirational market for her many books, including The Diary of a Teenage Girl series and Finding Alice. She and her husband live in Central Oregon. Welcome, Melody. Thank you. It's good to have you here. Well, it's good to be here across the globe. <laughs> yeah, right? Because um, let's see, you, we're actually talking to you from Oregon, right? Right. Yes. Okay. So nine hours, we're almost literally halfway apart. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. I have to say, I love the background. Is this the family library or your own personal library? No, this is, this is the house library. And I was going to do it in my studio library, but there was construction going and a lot of beeping behind me. But this, yeah. this is our favorite room and it's, it's floor to um, vaulted ceiling bookshelves. And we finally got to put all our books, well, not literally all our books in one place because we still have a few boxes, <laughs> but yeah, it's a pretty massive library for us. Oh. Okay, if I'm ever in Oregon, I must like make an appointment to stop by and say, show me the library in full, please. <laughs> yes, and you should come to Oregon. <laughs> I've only been there once. I um, spoke at the Oregon Christian Writers Conference, I think it was, somewhere in the woods outside Portland um, years ago. I don't remember when. It was so lovely. Yes, I've done that too. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good conference. I really like that one. Oh, so, but here we are. So you and I are talking in October and we're talking about Christmas. Yes. And I actually start writing about Christmas usually in July, which makes no sense. 
but this become a habit for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you can take advantage of the whole Christmas in July attitude that some people have and just go, okay, that's going to be my attitude. <laughs> yeah. It's shocking sometimes though, because I'll be in my office with the air conditioning on and writing about snow and cocoa and then I step outside and it's a hundred degrees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, yeah, that would be crazy. I have to say I'm quite pleased that um, the the timing of my schedule and uh, project planning and that sort of thing is working out really great because, um, you know, Harlequin, um, sorry, not Harlequin, I started doing that recently. Um, Hallmark Publishing has opened its doors now, and uh, so they are looking for tons of Christmas stories, and they had an open reading period sometime through September, like July through September or something, and they have another one in February, so I've been telling listeners, you know, find out, go to the Hallmark Publishing site, they're looking for Christmas stories and everything else, and now you can write a Christmas story at Christmas to have it ready by the February reading period. Yes, and I actually have a producer who is working with Hallmark. And we have a, a summer movie that is supposed to come out next summer. Oh, how fun. Hopefully. The script is, is approved. And, but we originally wanted to get Christmas movies in. But at the time, they were so booked up with Christmas movies that they were like, could you do another season? So one of my <laughs> summer books is, is maybe going to be first. Oh, <laughs> that's exciting. Uh, are you able to say which one yet? Which book? Well, it, it's, a, it's not going to have the same title, but it's not, I can have such a hard time remembering with so many books. I think it's all <laughs> summer long, but it's a series that's um, set in different locales. And this one happens to be in San Francisco. And it's a woman who re redoes a boat that turns into a dinner um, yacht in San Francisco. Yeah. So they were actually going to do it last year, but the weather in Vancouver, where they film it, they will film it in Vancouver and pretend like it's San Francisco. But right. <laughs> but the weather was so bad that they had to put a lot of their outdoorsy kind of movies on hold for the following oh, year. So that's wow. what happened to mine. Yeah. Well, that's very exciting. I, I hope that uh, it shows in such a way that it eventually ends up in Sweden so I can see it too. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, I hope so. That'd be fun. I've been um, finding quite a lot of Hallmark movies on Netflix if you're in Sweden. So I'm super happy. been watching a lot. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But so here we are. We're talking about A Christmas by the Sea, which is your latest. It's your latest Christmas novel. Is it your latest book? Because I think you have two books coming out this fall. Is that right? Um, <laughs> no, I'm trying to remember. Well, uh, yes. They, they had, here's Christmas by the Sea. And uh, um, I have a, the start of a new series. It's a historical series that just came out too, which is, in, and see, I'm blanking. I think moving from my office into the house, I've... <laughs> I lost half my mind. I but, wrote it down. Um, Harbor Secrets. Oh, that thank right? you. <laughs> All right. Did you say the title? Uh, Harbor, Harbor Secrets. Secrets. Yes, it's Harbor Secrets. <laughs> and I would have had that with me. And then also, there's another Christmas book that they repackaged. Um, it's it's Christmas tales, but it's tales like a cat tale or a dog tale because yeah. it has a, the cat story and the dog story that are combined. So Aww. that came out also. Yeah. Oh, nice. All right. Now, here's, here's my first question. Um, I love Christmas. Like, so many people love Christmas. But you have so many books set at Christmas time. You must really love Christmas. So tell us about, like, what, what's up with you and your love, your love for Christmas stories? Well, it, you know, it's funny. The way it started out was um, I was working with the editor, and she just kind of said, let's, let's try this. 
And that was probably 20 years ago. Wow. And so I wrote a, a book called Angels in the Snow and it's set at Christmas time. And then at that time, people weren't really doing Christmas novellas. It was kind of almost the first, at least in the Christian market. I think Grisham had done one. But okay. um, so then then it, it, it did pretty well. And so it was like, well, let's do another one. And, and so then it just became the thing. But, you know, it's funny that I've become known for Christmas books because I've mean, I've written like 250 other books, right. but um, the Christmas books have done probably not the best, but they're holding up pretty strong. And so when I get asked that, one of the things I say, well, my husband's birthday happens to be on Christmas. So there's one thing that makes Christmas special. Yeah. But as a child growing up, um, I had a single mom and one sister and we weren't real festive around our house, but we would go to our grandparents' house. And it was this old Victorian, Queen Anne Victorian house down in a coastal town. And all our family members would be there and we'd be just in all the nooks and crannies, you know, like 30 different people sleeping here and there. And it was just wonderful. And so I really have those beautiful memories and that probably helps a little bit too. Oh yeah, I would think so. It seems like, uh, especially with that many people around, you probably have a lot of stories that just get pulled from little bits and pieces of memories and become stories in their own right. Yes, but ironically, I haven't used that many of those stories because, you know, we had like one year where we had to drive through floods to get there. Oh. And I mean, there's just, there are different stories like that, that, you know, that I haven't used yet, but maybe someday I will. Yeah. yeah. Now this book, A Christmas by the Sea, actually does have some personal experience in it. Is that right? You um, had a seaside cabin that you went to or owned. I wasn't sure which one it was. Right. We, we had one that we owned for about eight years, I think it was. And we spent the first part of that time just totally rebuilding it because it was really old and neglected. And in the, my book here, this, the cabin that's on the cover is a lot prettier than our cabin was, but our cabin was really cute. But so uh -huh. in this book, I have this woman, it's a family cabin that she inherits and she ends up rehabbing it too. So that's sort of out of real life. But then there's a, a scene that happens on the beach where she finds sand dollars. And I won't go into all the details of that because that's sort of towards the end of the book. But that what happened with my husband and I, were, we, were, we decided to stay there for Christmas one year and we put up a Christmas tree. We had a little sunroom and didn't really have very many decorations for it. And we went down to the beach and we're all, I was always looking for sand dollars because that just seemed really special. And the whole time we'd been there, I think I'd found like, you know, five, six, seven, I don't know. We found hundreds in one day, just hundreds. And we, it, we were just, we felt like pirates on the beach. We just kept collecting <laughs> them and filling our pockets and, you know, getting, we had bread bags, you know, cause you always have a bread bag in your pocket when you're on the beach, filled those, took them home and washed them. And it, we just had sand dollars everywhere. So then I made them into Christmas decorations for the tree. I made these little angels out of the sand dollars and oh. so we, and we felt like it was the most beautiful christmas tree we'd ever had <laughs> oh man okay now i was trying to visualize a sand dollar that you make into a sand dollar angel so how did you do it was it with like did you glue something onto it i should have brought one here <laughs> that's um, okay yeah yes um what it is is the sand dollar part is kind of like the body so they're they're kind of chubby angels and <laughs> yeah. then i use little little clamshells that I hot glued onto the, what I say, the shoulders of the sand dollar. 
yeah. then I had found these little um, clear glass. Um, they look like pebbles, but I just got them like at the dollar store. I glued those on for the head. So it's kind of this little glassy, it looks like a bubble. And then uh -huh. these little wings and then just glued a little cord onto the back of it. And I'm actually going to give some of those away in some contests. I've already got one going and then I'm going to do probably a couple more before Christmas where the winners will get a book and a sand dollar. Oh, angel, that's a sand dollar awesome. Angel. Yeah. Okay. So if listeners are interested in, in participating in this contest, what do they need to do? Well, go to my website and just sign up for my newsletter because I'll do the it through my newsletter. I'll also end up probably put it on Facebook and LinkedIn as well, but it all starts with the newsletter. Excellent. And then that's a good way to find out things like, when's that Hallmark movie coming? Yeah. <laughs> things like that. Perfect. And that's uh, MelodyCarlson.com? That's right. Yeah. Excellent. Very good. Okay, cool. I really wanted to hear about the sand dollars because I grew up in Northern Lower Michigan where there is so much snow. Uh, the beaches that we have are covered in snow and ice. So I was trying to imagine what a sand dollar angel would look like and what a tree covered in sand dollar angels might look like. So I just thought it sounded really cool. I, yes. And we took pictures of the tree, but it was on an old phone. And somehow those pictures, as well as many others, didn't make it onto the new phone, which is kind of the bad downside of technology, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Though I have to say that, um, old fashioned camera. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I, I, it's funny, you know, we, um, we have our love hate relationships with technology now, but after my mom died and we went through her house, oh my gosh, the number of rolls of undeveloped film that she had, we were like, what has she been taking pictures of that? She just never got around to the store and developed them. So I have funny. some of those myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a drawer that has a lot of them and I, and I keep being tempted just to take it in, but it's so expensive. And then I'm thinking, oh, and what if they're all black, you know, and then I pay, you know, hundreds of dollars for a bunch right. of black because they were so old. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh man. Yeah. Thank goodness for the cloud though. Now there are things that I won't take pictures of because I'm like, if anybody hacks the crowd, the cloud, there are some things I just don't want pictures of in the cloud. <laughs> I know that cloud. It's yeah. hard to know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, so mid-October, you, let's see, uh, if you start a Christmas book in July, you've probably already finished writing whatever next year's Christmas story is. Oh, yes. Yes. I write pretty quickly and yeah, it's, it's always done in the summer. Okay. So I'm All on right. another project completely now. <laughs> yeah. So you are quite a prolific writer. Do you want to perhaps impart some nuggets of wisdom or advice to listeners on um, like, what's your process for being so prolific? Well, when I first started writing and I, I love telling this to people who are just starting out, um, I just didn't have very much time. I, my um, kids were kind of in middle, um, age school, you know, where they, they really do take a lot of time with sports and PTA and this and that. And then at the same time, I was running the group home daycare center preschool, which takes quite a bit of time as well. I mean, I had wow. like one other person working with me there. I had it, but it really took a lot of time. So my time was pretty limited, but I wanted to write and it, the writing. I've been writing just for my own enjoyment, probably my whole life. But at this point in time, I just wanted to get serious about it. And so while the children were napping, I pulled out a yellow legal pad and just started writing a book on it and wrote a whole book. I, I ended up doing a whole book longhand 
on a yellow legal pad. It took, it took a few months. And then from there, I got a, a little old fashioned typewriter that, but it had the electronic strip that would memorize a little bit and you'd print out a page. And so I worked from there to the real early computers, which were hard to use, but, but my time was so limited that I just wrote really fast. Cause I only had, you know, like a little bit of time on weekends or in the evening or whatever. And the, the good news about that, and this is what I like to tell writers who are just starting out is it teaches you not to edit yourself as you go along. And a lot of people think, oh, that's a bad thing, you know, but I can tell you it's a really good thing because you really can't edit yourself until you're done with the project. And a yeah. lot of new writers will start and they'll keep editing that first chapter over and over and over again. And what they don't realize is a lot of times that first chapter should be thrown away. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, you don't exactly know what you're doing, where you're going. And, and so just, I tell people, get the whole book done and then go back and edit. And so that's, yeah, yeah that's what I've done is, that's my, that's my secret that I share with everyone. So it's not really a secret. Yeah. <laughs> it's good advice though. I like it, especially because if you never get to the point where you got to the end, you never are sure that you'll ever be a person who, who finishes the book. So. Exactly. And I think that with new writers, that's the thing that really bogs them down is that they waste so much time. And I really say waste the time because it, it's, it's editing something that you don't even know that you need yet. And they don't, and then they get discouraged and then they yeah. give up and maybe they really are a good writer, but they're not going to find out because they haven't completed it. So, and it, whether it's a short story or a short book, you know, don't overwhelm yourself, do, do what you can, but just get it from beginning, middle and done and then go back. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I love that advice. That's great. It's really complicated, isn't it? <laughs> You know, it's funny. Um, I was just at this amazing church conference in Switzerland. I can't believe that instead of flying to another state, I fly to another country to go do things. I still am sort of overwhelmed by, I was just in Switzerland. Um, but one of the things that, uh, that one of the speakers was talking about is the difference between simple and easy. And I think that it really applies to the writer's life as well as probably every other job there is in the world, but you and I are sitting here talking about writing and I think, man, simple versus easy. That's something we should be thinking about. I just wrote an article about that. I, I was speaking at a, yeah, at a little writer's conference over on the coast just a few weeks ago and they asked me to write a little article before and it, the whole point of my article is simple versus easy because I do believe keep it simple, but keeping it simple is not necessarily easy. I mean, it, it still requires a lot of discipline and a lot of work and a lot of honing and, and all of that, but it doesn't have to be complicated. And yeah, so that's interesting that you just. It, it's funny how sometimes the same concept kind of like moves around uh, in different areas of life, but all at the same time kind of makes you wonder like uh, if, you're supposed to be paying attention to this particular thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, like something in the universe is going on. But I, I do think, I think especially here, I don't know how it is in Sweden, but, you know, in, in the U.S., it, it's just, we get more and more complicated. And life gets more and more complicated. And, and for me personally, to keep it simpler, and that's one of the things I say about Christmas also is, simplify because you know, I often get asked you know what are my Christmas traditions because I've written so many Christmas books they think that you know I must just really do Christmas in a big 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 way yeah well, I used I used to and I used to have it kind of complicated I think looking back now 
and now it is so much simpler and it's more enjoyable for me. And I think yeah. for everybody around me too, because it's less stressed and it's just more focus on the things that really matter, the things that you really want to remember for Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, moving around a lot has, um, made me feel like I don't really have any Christmas traditions, but I guess, I guess me and John, our Christmas tradition is, um, that it is simple. Like it's about, um, for us, you know, Christ being born into the world. Thank you, God. And, um, and then spending time with family and friends. Um, and a lot of the family part is actually the family that we've created around us since we've moved around the world. And, um, and I have to say, you know, number three is food. Food is a big tradition for us. <laughs> yeah. And we're, we haven't moved around as much as you have, but, um, we just, our age, I think is, is encouraged us to simplify and just, but food still is a good thing too. And, yeah. But you know, my, because it's my husband's birthday on Christmas. Um, I years ago, you know, we used to always have Turkey because that's what my grandma did, you know, and it just seemed, and that was when we had more family around now, then we've moved since to a place where we don't have as much family around. And so in that period of time, I asked my husband, well, what do you really want for Christmas birthday dinner? And he said, <laughs> lasagna. And so I've been doing Christmas lasagna, which is actually more work than the turkey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, it sounds delicious, though. <laughs> it is pretty good. <laughs> nice. And then we, we've adopted neighbors kind of <coughs> Excuse me. As, as our family, too, because we moved away. So ours have changed, too. But I think it just makes it more fun, more interesting. Yeah, yeah. And the people that you do have over, they're, they're having some new kind of way to do Christmas that they hadn't done before as well. So that's fun. That's right. And we live in an area where there are a lot of transplants in this neck of the woods. So yeah, there's a lot of people that are disconnected from extended family. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I have to talk about... Um, the number of Christmas ideas. So writers um, get asked by people who aren't writers where you get your ideas. But I think writers like to ask each other, once you've written six or 10 or 12 books that are either in a series with the same character or in a series with the same you know, general uh, area, like a small town or whatever, and you start running out of cousins or whatever, you know, it gets a little bit more difficult. Now you've had this theme, Christmas books, Christmas stories. Um, and I am just wondering, do you ever find that you're like, oh, okay, what's something I haven't done yet that I think would be fun that I would like to do that I think people would like to read? Like, do you feel like you ever get stuck with that? Or is that just something that you, you just don't have, I'm asking in case you have advice for other people who are doing any kind of a series, even like yours isn't really a series. It's a lot of standalone, but still like a single theme kind of. Yeah. And you know, I, I can relate to what you're saying about the series thing. Um, the Christmas books aren't necessarily a series like that, but I have reached the place of almost feeling burnout with series if they go more than four books. Although I have had some, te I've had one teen series that went eight books oh, wow. and, but I had so many characters in it. It was a house full of girls that were all from very different backgrounds. And so there, there were a lot of stories to be told. So that kind of helped me with the series, but I generally, I feel like four books is enough for a series. And I did some series that were uh, group written for, for guideposts a while back that went into like, I, don't, I think like 30, 50, I don't know how many books. But after I hit about 
maybe six or so. I can't remember. I was like, nope, uh, that's it. I'm done. And, and I just couldn't. But with the Christmas books, it's, it's a little bit easier because each one is a, a standalone story. But I think with a series, and I am working on one right now, and I'm on the third book of the series. And so it, what, having a full cast of characters, to me, that really helps. And then developing those characters. And as I'm starting this third book, I'm you know, inter introducing some new characters as well. And to, that keeps it fresh for me because I really like to write character-driven stories. And even though I keep it in the viewpoint primarily of, of the same main characters, it's fun to, to bring some new faces and yeah stories along yeah yeah nice good good so i suppose and also um christmas has so many different elements to it and like you're saying you know there's the the little tiny family the huge extended family the mixed family where you have four or five christmases a year or the um, like you and I have uh, adopted family Christmas, you know, the, the close friends that we've made. So I suppose Christmas maybe might be one of those kind of, um, if I might say it, uh, lucky choices that you actually can think of a lot of different ways to approach it. I know. And I, I you know, every year when I know I'm going to do another one, I, I do kind of do that thing like, huh, what's this going to be? And for a while on my book contracts, it would just say Christmas book number and, and it wouldn't, there would be nothing to go with it, no title or anything. So yeah. they didn't know and I didn't know literally until I turned the book in. Well, in more recent years, we've gotten a little more specific about it because publishing has changed in recent years. And so they want to know ahead of time, you know, what's this one about? And, and so we're all on the same page. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but it, it, it just seems unlimited to me because I think any story really could become a Christmas story. It's just, you know, you just add the, the holly and cocoa. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's true. Maybe even a birthday. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I have done that a couple of times used uh, somebody with a Christmas birthday. But one thing that I do try to do with my Christmas books, especially not that I don't do it with all my books, but, um, I try to make it so there's a little, there's some hard stuff going on too. Not, not a lot of hard stuff because I think people want to be, you know, cheered up right, you know, before Christmas. And, and I want those books to do that. But I also want them to say, you know, well, we know what it's like to have hard times because during the holidays, people have their highs and their lows and their ups and downs. And, and it's not all, you know, cocoa and <laughs> holly and happiness. You know, there's, there's some heartaches going on. So I, I try to incorporate some of that. And then just when we get to the end, then, then we're happy and hopeful. Yeah, that's perfect. I love books that end with the, the, the happy, hopeful ending. I, I find it difficult, especially a Christmas book, but really um, I'm reading a book now and because I'm about ready to say something negative, I won't say what book, but um, by an author I really like who's incredibly pro prolific and uh, I've been listening to three audiobooks in a row by this author because the, the first one I was listening to, I'm like, oh my gosh, I love this book so much. But now I'm, I'm listening to this one where I'm just like, I just don't even care. None of these people, I think, have likable traits. And it makes it just really difficult for me. It's just my personality to follow the story because I just don't care if any of them win or lose. <laughs> well, that's, that's an important thing you know and and as writers I think we always need to remember that I know I need to remember it and sometimes I will start a story because I want to start from sort of a low place and I kind of almost always do that 
but you know you could lose your readers if they don't like that character because that character hasn't developed yet you know and it's like so it's it's tricky you know you want to you want them to have some compassion for the character you want them to uh, like i say care for the character if you don't care for the character when i'm talking to you know new writers you know your your readers aren't going to care either yeah and they might put the book down so i have to remind myself of that too because sometimes i started a little too dark or a little too negative and i will a lot of times an editor will go you know you need to yeah brighten this up a little bit give us a little reason to keep going and i'm like oh yeah yeah okay <laughs> well i have to say i like the way that you started a christmas by the sea because it made me feel like um I already have an idea of some conflict, but I, I also see like the love between family members already. And like, I'm like, okay, how are they going to like not get mad at each other when like they reveal that they're not necessarily on the same page about what's going on. I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's fun because that's like life, you know? <laughs> it's so true. You don't really know how it's going to end. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, especially at Christmas, everybody's always so busy keeping secrets about little things that sometimes we keep secrets about bigger things. And I mean, there's all sorts of room for, all right, now, now my brain is already, this is what happens when I talk with other writers. I'm like, oh, that's a story idea where it could be this and then that changes. And <laughs> Well, I actually, when you said that, it reminds me of a story that I, I still, we've had Hallmark interest in it. And I'm hoping it'll happen, but it was kind of a retelling of the O. Henry story of um, Gift of the, the Magi. Gift of the Magi, yes. And, it, and yeah, and I can't re- and I can't remember the title of the book, but it's it's the woman's doing one thing and the man's doing one thing, and they and there's a lot of um, surprises. They're just you know and misreading people and you know people with you know one preconceived notion and. Yeah, and it's it's really fun. Oh, all I have to give, I think, is what it's called. All I, I have know. to give. You know, when you have twenty Christmas books, it's hard to remember. If I was in my office, I would turn around and say, "This is what it is." Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not in my office. But um, yeah, and it's yeah. a sweet story. In fact, I was telling it to someone, and I started crying. And I'm oh. not a crier, but it, it's kind of it's just really it's that touching gift of the Magi, kind of yeah. Story. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now I want to go read that one. (laughs) Uh, All right. So another question I had when I was looking at all of your many books, and I know that with over 200 books out, I didn't actually see every title, but um, this was another thing that I thought, oh, I want to hear uh, what you have to Um, to say to our listeners on this topic. So a lot of times, particularly in the first few years of starting out, um, even, you know, for a published author who only has like, say, less than a dozen books, um, the typical uh, wisdom that you hear, the traditional wisdom is uh, find something that you want to write and write a lot in that. So that time period or that age group or whatever, so that you can build your, your reputation and a foundation, and then you can start going off. Now, I don't know if you did that, but I do know that you have all ages of books in all time periods. So tell us a little bit about your story in that regard. I know. And it's not something I recommend to new writers and publishers hate it. They really do. And early on, um, it's, it's just, it's, it's a long story, but it, trying to make it short, I worked for a publishing company for about three years, which was really my education in publishing, which I am so grateful for. 
but I started doing some kids books there just because the company needed some and, and they actually worked out pretty well. But my real love was writing um, contemporary women's fiction. And I really thought that's what I would just do. But then, you know, as that took off, then somebody said, well, how about writing for teen girls? You know, couldn't you do that? That's not so different. So, and then, and at the time, this was more than 20 years ago, they, the theory was that teen girls really weren't reading much. And I wrote, it was called Diary of a Teenage Girl. Well, it took off. And then I ended up doing 16 books in that series. So then wow. that just launched other series. So, I mean, I have written probably about a hundred books for teen girls wow. and probably about a hundred novels for women. And then the rest of them are like children's books. And then there was like the little dry eras in publishing when I do a gift book here or there, you know, or, or occasionally a nonfiction. And then, then as I got a little, sometimes I kind of get tired of the contemporaries, although I'd say that's probably my first love. Then I dabbled in the historicals. And then I found out that I really liked doing some historicals. I wouldn't want to do them all the time because they are more work as most writers yeah. know because you have to research. But I have to say it's easier nowadays to research than it was 20 years ago because the, that internet, you know, I might not like some parts of it, but you know, there are so many places to go digging that you just didn't have access to. Especially I live in a small town and our library was tiny and to get to the bookstore, you had to drive for half an hour and you know, so I have to say that internet has helped a lot. So I, yeah, and I don't have any real good excuse. And when I, when I meet a young writer who says, well, I, I want to write suspense and then I want to write this and I want to write that. And I go, even though I've done all of those, <laughs> yeah. I, I say, I say, you know, to start with, hone it in, you know, and, and then carve out your name. And what happened with me um, after about 50, I don't know, 100 books maybe, the publisher said, well, well, let's brand you. And so I had actually three different publishers that I was working with meet together to try to come up with a brand. Wow. Well, they couldn't, they really couldn't. So oh, then no. finally, the only thing that they came up with was true to life fiction, because fiction really was the thing I loved. And that was sort of cover, you know, teens and historicals and suspense and contemporary. <laughs> but I know, I know it's confusing. It's confusing to readers who've read only certain kinds of books. Like I mentioned the guideposts ones. Well, that tends to be something that kind of the older people like, you know? Yeah. So then if they pick up, you know, something like, like an edgy teen book, for instance, they can be shocked yeah. <laughs> because for teens, I, I write pretty, pretty straightforward and, and I, pack a lot of punch and and I also end up usually giving a strong gospel message in my teen books too so it's it's all different yeah well so so your advice might be do as I say not as I do and pick one yes. for a little while <laughs> yes I I if you want to be quote successful you know I mean that is the better formula like Karen Kingsbury is a friend of mine and when she first started writing and she didn't even have one um, fiction book yet. She didn't have one novel yet. She'd written a couple of nonfiction books. And we met with another friend, Robin Gunn. Mm -hmm. And we were just like all kind of brainstorming together at my house. And Karen just had this vision of, she was just going to write these, you know, sort of contemporary, suspenseful. She knew exactly what they were going to be. And at the time I was kind of like, I'd written and published 
you know, maybe, I don't know, not a hundred books, but it probably it was getting up there by then. And I was kind of looking at Karen like, well, you know, I didn't say that. Well, look at what she has done. I mean, if you want yeah. an example of somebody who really focused in and knew what she's doing, and she's a brilliant woman, and I have the highest respect for her. And if I would have listened to her, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have had as much fun as I've had because it, it's been really fun, and I do not regret writing for teens at all. I mean, that's been one of the, the biggest blessings of my writing career. So. But yeah. I, but I, I do hold her up as an example of this is somebody who did it very intelligently and knew exactly where she was going and had a plan and, and worked the plan, you know, amazingly. And I still, you know, look at her and read her newsletters and go, wow, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. impressive. Yeah. yeah. And I guess in a way, um, they're like with everything else in life, you know, there's different ways to look at it. That was the business perspective, really, that we were talking about. But the other thing is just the, the individual nature of each of us as creator people. Um, you know, you create by going in a couple of different directions, taking advantage of an opportunity that you didn't see coming. And, and that's how you ended up with the first 16 teen books, right? Right. And so, yeah. And um, yeah. It, for me, it keeps it fun. It keeps it fresh. And not that being, you know, probably I might be the most prolific contemporary writer in the Christian field. I, I kind of think I am. I, I have a group of friends, including Jerry Jenkins. And, and I, I, you know, and I'm not bragging because it's almost embarrassing to have written so many books, but I wouldn't have written so many books if it hadn't been fun. And if each one hadn't just felt like a whole new exploration. And I don't, I don't think very many of my books are the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I definitely, I, I want to make sure that um, whatever I'm promoting to listeners, it's like, this is one way to look at it. So for instance, there's a business way to look at it. And then there's a, whatever is going to feed your creativity, the most way to look at it. So yeah. And I think it just depends on what your goals are. And, and to be honest, you know, I don't know that I really had goals. And I remember when I finally decided I was going to quit publishing, I hadn't worked there for that long. It was, wasn't even three years. And, but I had my favorite agent that would represent her clients to me when I was working in publishing. And I always had told myself, well, if I ever need to get an agent, I'll approach her. So while I was working there, I said, would you like to represent me? And she's like, yeah. And I said, I'll probably write, you know, one book a year. And she's like, oh, that's fine. You know, one book a year, that's great. And then it was like just a month or so later when I decided to quit and I called her up and I said, I need to write a lot of books. <laughs> and she's like, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that you have, so. Because at the time, but, I was. Oh, go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just noticing on your website that um, the number of publishers um, that, that's represented, you know, just with your relatively new books, not even all of your books. I'm thinking you are keeping your agent hopping, getting that stuff out all the time. <laughs> yes. And, you know, it, it, it slowed down with, with the recession, as everybody knows, publishing really slowed down, you know, and um, I continued to stay busy during that because my books were so contracted out. You know, oh, yeah. so I kept having, you know, and, and other writers were like, well, how are you, you know, still doing that? Well, I was contracted out quite a ways and 
because we knew how prolific I was, we knew I'd get those books done. But then it did get to that place. Then when we were starting to contract new books and it was much harder and slowed down and we, as a result, decided to downsize and, you know, we are getting older and just to really slow it down. And, and I, and I'm glad that we did, but at first it was almost shocking because to have, you know, like you know, three or four months to write one book to me felt, it felt lazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> compared so, to what you were used to yeah but then I, I gave myself permission to go ahead and write as fast as I wanted to and not not to try to slow it down because for me that was that was the style that I developed and I think it was actually it's it's a better book when I write it faster because I'm old, I'm able to hold on to the threads and keep my interest up and keep it going and snapping along which I, I think it works to keep my readers when they're reading it you know going yeah. on quickly too. So, you know, it occurs to me that, um, while I don't have the exact date yet, this episode will probably air during national novel writing month, NaNoWriMo. So you might be really encouraging some people right now who are like, just like, okay, yes, I just need to write it fast and not edit and just get the story that's making me happy in my head out on paper and not edit it. <laughs> yes. And I strongly encourage people to do that because if you've got it in you, if you're a storyteller, if you're a writer and you push yourself and that doesn't mean they have to do all of it like that, but if you do it and you get that success and you've got that finished book and I've teen writers, you know, that, you know, they're, they're going to school and they still crank out a whole book. I mean, how impressive is that? Yeah. So I'm thinking if you're serious and you want to do it, just do it, you know, and just, yeah. Like, like the old Nike ad. <laughs> Just yeah. Do it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay. So we're talking about A Christmas by the Sea, which is out now. And then the next book is Harbor Secrets, which is book one in the Legacy of Sunset Cove series, right? Right. And it came out about the same time. Oh, it's already and also out. Okay. It is out. Yeah. And then um, the next one, I think, is coming out in early spring. And it's already written. And I'm writing the third one now. And it'll be Excellent. out next fall. Yeah. Now, remind me, um, after reading your website, I've actually gotten confused about which time period this one is. I want to say it's the 1910s? Yes. It okay. starts out, yeah, it's kind of the World War I era. It's not necessarily all about World War I. It just happens to be that era. Where I live in Oregon, um, women were, I think we were the second or third state for women to get the vote. And I think that was, I should know this better, but I think it was... 12 i think it was yeah and then um as a result we were one of the very early states to get prohibition which is kind of ironic because oregon is sort of a it's an independent i don't know it's a we're different yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're definitely different here so prohibition came with its own set of problems especially when it was new and uh, because i set the the story um on the oregon coast there's rum running and bootlegging and all kinds of criminal things going on. And this woman is running her father's newspaper. And so there's plenty to write about and research. So it's a little bit suspenseful. Whereas the series I wrote before that was set in World War II and it was four books also, but it's, it's more about the women on the home front and what they're doing for the war effort. So it, it focuses a little bit more on the war. That's called the Mulligan sisters. But this one's more, it's a little bit of everything, but it's fun. And I feel like I'm really learning history much better than I ever did in school. It kind of forces you <laughs> to, right. to know more. Yeah. 
Oh, well. All right. That sounds super interesting. Well, so you've got lots of books. Where, where, what's the best way for people to find you, find your books? Tell us about you. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, any of the on, online bookstores and, you know, Amazon, of course, are the biggest always comes to mind, but any, any of them, you know, cushionbooks.com and Barnes and Noble, it's all there. And my website, um, which I try to keep updated. My son helps me with that, but he's, he's got a job now too. So <laughs> he's not as available as he used to be, but um, it's just melodycarlson.com and you can see what's new there, but um, just, you know, just go Google it or go to your local bookstore and ask them to order her book. You know, there's the old fashioned way, which I personally love. I, I mean, eBooks are fine, but I still love, as you can see from behind me in our <laughs> library and if in my office, you'd see the same thing. Um, I, yes, I like a, a good hard book and and here we are. <laughs> here's, here's oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, if yeah, you're not yeah. watching on YouTube, this is a beautiful Christmas book cover, Christmas by the Sea. Yeah, and it's, it's a little different than the usual kind of red, green, and gold ones that, that we see, but this is it's fun. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Listen, this has been great fun, and I'm super excited because I feel like the listeners got all sorts of little pieces of advice and, and encouragement as well as listening to your story. Well, good. I hope they will be encouraged. And yeah, it, it, it sounds kind of wrong to say right fast, but you know, speaking from experience, <laughs> it works. You know, I slow it down later. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show, Melody. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.